we're going to be looking at uh, the story of Esther. And as I was planning out this worship series, what I've been doing over the last uh, year or so is I've been uh, trying to find former sermons that I have maybe preached on Esther, just to make sure that I haven't told the same story over and over and over again. Uh, You guys may not remember the stories, but uh, I remember them, and I'd like to have some new ones. And as I as I typed in the, you know, the, the search word Esther, because I don't have it uh, uh, saved in that kind of way, um, a couple sermons popped up, and I read them, I was like, ooh, these are not very good. <laughs> Do you ever go back and read some of the stuff that you've written? It's like, why would I write that? That is amazing. But then as I kind of looked at the book of Esther, I realized that you could probably write 50, 60 sermons on the book of Esther. And maybe still not find everything there is to find. So today we're going to look at just a small piece of Esther. And that is on invitation. The idea that invitation can change the world. can change our futures. So we're going to read a small part from Esther. It's Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace opposite the king's hall. Now the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the palace, opposite the entrance to the palace. He's doing all that so that he can see her. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won his favor. And this is an interesting thing. He held out her gold, his golden scepter. It was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the top of the scepter. What a great way to go on a date. I should have used that a long time ago. The king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom. Then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I want you to think in your mind, what's the best invitation you've ever received? What's the best invitation ever? Was it when you were little and you got invited to a birthday party? Was it a wedding invitation? Was it an all-expense-paid trip somewhere? Was it a dinner party with friends that you haven't seen for a long time? I remember when I was in middle school, I got invited to go to Astro World. Astro World in Houston, Texas. It's like uh, Valley Fair, but way bigger because it's in Texas. <laughs> and I wasn't a part of the cool group. At least I didn't think I was. I didn't feel like I was a part of the cool group. I was an awkward, short, you know, little guy with a huge afro. And I got invited to go with the cool kids on this trip to Astro World. It was a pretty cool invitation. I remember in high school, another group of buddies of mine uh, invited me to go to my very first concert ever. Ever. Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. Yes. I almost wish I hadn't gone. But it was a really cool invitation. But I remember probably the best invitation I ever received was also the hardest one. It was the best, but it was the hardest one. Back in the fall or the summer of 1997, I began dating this woman who would later become my wife, Heather. And before that, I had spent many years with a group of friends. But from 1989 all the way up, 
we were buds. We hung out. We, did, we worked at Bible camp together every summer. Most of us are transplants from different states, so we did Thanksgivings together. We did Christmas together. We did New Year's Eve parties together. We did Super Bowl parties together. We did everything together. And in the late summer, early fall of 1997, that all began to change because I began spending a lot more time with this girl named Heather. And unbeknownst to me, it was rubbing my friends the wrong way. Now, I don't know if you've ever met Heather. I'm, I'm going to assume that you haven't. Um, Heather's grown up in the church all 44 years of her life. Her dad was a, a director of worship. And her and church and kind of being in the public spotlight kind of don't really drive because she is painfully introverted. She just, she hangs, she knows how to meld into a wall. You're not going to be able to see her. She's like a Sasquatch, right? You never see her. Wait a second. She doesn't look like a Sasquatch. <laughs> that's not what you want to do. She's, you know, you don't never see one, you know? That's, anyway, all right. But you get the point. Yeah. And, but she, in this friendship groups, was the same way. She was very introverted. She didn't really connect that well. And so all these people thought that she was, you know, a little arrogant and thought that she was uh, kind of better than they were, and they started treating her badly. Well, I didn't notice it. I'm thinking everybody's getting along. Typically, I think that way. My default button is everybody's getting along. Don't we get along? We love each other. This is, that's my default. And so she's telling me all these times, your friends aren't talking to me. They're not being very nice to me. I'm like, no, that would never happen. These are my friends. They love everyone. We worked at Bible camp together. We love Jesus. We do everything. She's like, they won't talk to me. Well, it was Super Bowl weekend, 1998, and I started noticing that, yes, my friends were treating her poorly. They were ignoring her. They weren't inviting her into conversation. And there she was sitting on the couch by herself while I was not being a very good boyfriend. I was just hanging out with everybody. Well, I noticed it. We talked about it. And I started to have, to have some conversation with her and with God. What am I going to do? These are the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. And I know that I'm about to, get, I'm about to ask this woman to marry me. What am I going to do? So I begin to pray. And then a friend of mine calls me and he says, Hey, you know what? We're all going to go camping together. We'd love for you guys to come. And I said, I can't do it. I can't go. Because I'm not going to bring my soon-to-be fiancé and just have no one talk to her. And he heard what I had to say. He listened to me and he said, Here's the deal. You're going to have to go talk to... This, these other people. And I said, okay, I'll take up that invitation. So Ash Wednesday of 1998, I drive up to my friend's house, my really good friend's house and his wife, and we meet, uh, we have dinner, we go to worship to Ash Wednesday, we get marked with the ashes on our forehead that remind us of our sin and remind us of our mortality. A little bit of humbling Ash Wednesday is. We go back to his apartment, I sit down with him, and I said, here's the deal. I don't know if you're asking me to choose you or to choose Heather, but I have to tell you, I've already borrowed the money for my sister for the ring. So if you need me to choose, I'm choosing Heather. 
And they apologized and they apologized and they said, you know what, we need to sit down with Heather and apologize. And so they invited us to dinner a couple weeks later. And I told Heather about it and she said, no. <laughs> it would hard, be hard for an extrovert to do this. But she's about to go sit in a very painful and discomforting situation. She said, no, and I said, I think we need to take this invitation. The best invitation, but the hardest invitation. Had a hard conversation. Dinner was hard, but it ended up being the best invitation ever. 22 years ago, we had that conversation, and we just had dinner with them a couple weeks ago. An invitation, even the hardest ones, can open up doors, they can help you find a way through, they can create a new future, they can heal. Invitations can actually save. An invitation is a major part of the story of Esther. You heard a little bit, of, little bit of about it from Marie this morning. Esther was living in Persia, in exile, the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken over, and all of these Israelites, Jewish people, were taken into slavery, taken into Persia and Babylon and other countries. And they were persecuted. There's this guy named Mordecai, it was Esther's uncle, takes Esther in after Esther's mom and dad die and raises her as his own daughter. But they kept their Jewish heritage a secret because they would have been persecuted, they would have been killed, they were immigrants, they were exiles in a different country. Well, it just so happened that Mordecai was in the court of the king. Didn't tell anybody who he was, nobody knew that he was Jewish, but he ends up in the court of the king. And the king decides that there's going to be a beauty contest. The king is going to choose someone else to be in his, his harem. And Esther enters into the beauty contest, and Esther wins. Use it in air quotes, because, I don't know, that's kind of a weird way of doing that whole deal. But that's the way they did that. And then Mordecai, in the court, is unable and unwilling to treat the second-in-command, right behind King Xerxes, this guy's name is Haman, with the same kind of respect that he would give Xerxes. He would not bow down to Haman. Haman finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, goes to the king, kind of tricks the king, and he gives the king allows then Haman the permission to kill every Jew in Persia. Mordecai gets wind of this, goes to Esther and says, Esther, you've got to help. You've got to do something. You've got to reveal yourself to the king. You've got to request that the king put a stop to this. Well, what does Esther do? Esther just can't just run into the king and go, hey, king, you know, um, th there's something really bad going on. Guess what? I'm Jewish, by the way. And Haman, your right-hand man, the guy you trust, is out to kill everyone. Actually, you gave him permission to do it. She can't do that. She has to wait. She waits for the right time, for the right moment. And the king 
notices her, has a conversation with her. And what does Esther do? Esther sends him an invitation. She gives him an invitation. Doesn't automatically just throw out, hey, and blurt the whole thing out. Esther gives an invitation. Not only once, but twice. And after she gives him the second invitation, she's like, here we go. And she gives him all the information. And Xerxes ends up killing Haman and his family and his plotters instead of the Jews. Now, this is an amazing story. It's actually one of these stories that has found a a lot of life in the Jewish culture. It's one of these stories that every year they celebrate it. It's called the Day of Purim. They celebrate it almost like Carnival is celebrated in Rio. Parades and music. It is a massive celebration. And it's celebrated because it's a great story. Kings and queens, plots, dramatic storylines everywhere. The villain and the hero. It does seem like the stuff of fantasy. I know Game of Thrones has kind of run its course, but if you're looking to fill your Game of Thrones hole, read Esther. It has all that intrigue in it. And it sounds like a great story, because it is a great story. Because it's our story. You and I, each of us, have broken relationships in our lives. They may look different than a group of friends ostracizing your soon-to-be fiancé, but we have broken relationships in our lives. There are things that need to be healed. There is a new future to be had. And Queen Esther shows us where to start. She starts by praying. She starts by praying and surrounding herself with others that pray with her. She's seeking guidance. She's seeking advice. She's seeking to be grounded. Because she knows that if she goes to the king and the king says no, it might be her neck on the line. So she starts with prayer. She gets the clarity to move forward. But she also trusts that the Holy Spirit is at work. One of the amazing things about the book of Esther is that you don't hear about God. You hear about the Jewish people. You hear about the Persians and Xerxes and Mordecai and Haman. But God isn't present. God doesn't swoop down and go, here it is. There's no burning bush moment in Esther. There's no word from God. There's no direction from God. In the book of Esther, it almost seems like God is absent. And it makes sense because these people are in exile. And when you are in exile, you can feel like God is is absent. Well, what Esther does is Esther leans into her faith because she knows that the Holy Spirit is at work. She trusts, even though she doesn't hear the voice of God, she trusts that she is loved. And then she makes an invitation. She invites And that invitation creates relationship, and that relationship brings forward a new future. 
Now, we know the story because the story has a positive ending. Everything goes pretty well, except for Haman and his, his crew. But everything goes pretty well. There's a celebration. What would have happened if the invitation didn't go well? What if Xerxes said, eh, you didn't touch the scepter in the right spot? Not coming. Sorry. What if, hey, what if uh, Xerxes said, ah, I'm busy. I've got somebody else in the, the harem. You know, it's not going to work for me. What's going to happen when you invite someone and they don't respond? What if you need to invite someone to have that conversation and they don't want that healing? What if my wife's no would have been a hard no? For 22 years, I would have probably lost that whole group of friends. What if you pray? What if you gather advice? What if you get the grounding that you need? What if you believe that the Holy Spirit is working in all of that and then you decide that you're going to send that invitation and the word comes back, no. What are you going to do with that? I think that's a great fear that a lot of us have. Well, Jesus spends some time on this reality. He especially instructs his disciples on how to move on after an invitation has been refused. This is what he tells his disciples when he sent them out to share the good news and when the invitation is refused. He instructs them to shake the dust off their feet and move on. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. See, the one thing we cannot do is we cannot make someone else accept our invitation. There may be deep brokenness. There may need a, may, may need a big uh, a, a need for healing. And you've done everything you possibly can. And if they say no, the word for you and I is to shake the dust off our feet and move on. In many ways, your intent will bring the healing that you need. For years and years and years, my older brother tried to convince my dad to enter into a conversation. He invited my dad over and over and over again into a conversation about how he abused him when he was young. Physical abuse, mental abuse. And my brother spent years and years trying to get my dad to acknowledge it and almost to rub his face in it. And my dad would never say yes to that invitation and still hasn't. And my brother can't move on. What are you going to do when you invite someone into a healing conversation and they say no? Shake the dust off your feet. Move on. Because the healing is there. The relationship may not be healed, but you can be healed. The relationship may remain broken, but your prayer your in, intentional conversations ground you into the deep love of God 
who gives you the future. Not your friendship group, not your father, not your coworker, not anybody that's out there. They're not going to give you the healing. God gives you the healing. And God gives you the new future. So may you, in the midst of any broken relationship, may you pray, may you seek counsel, may you ground yourself in the deep love of God, and may you find that future that you so deeply desire. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you call us, that you call us out of brokenness into healing. Lord God, we ask that you give us the courage and the wisdom that we would live into your Spirit's call, that we would be those that invite, that we would seek out healing and that brokenness and to be able to find that healing in our world. Lord God, we ask all of this in your holy and precious name. Amen.